The Bible talks about a coming ruler who will bring havoc and destruction to the rest of the world like never before. This coming rebellion is led by the Antichrist. But where exactly do we learn about the Antichrist in the Bible? That's exactly what we're going to be talking about in today's podcast. So open your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and let's get into it. Well, hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Blessed to be with you guys as we continue our study here in 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2 now where we just finished a series in chapter 1 of how to stand strong in your faith. So if you are struggling, if you just have tuned in for the very very first time or you skipped over the first chapter, I encourage you guys to check that out wherever you get your podcast. But you could also go to our brand new website, standstrongministries.org, same uh, URL, same link, but it's just a brand new website. We are going to be putting a lot more videos and articles. I know some of you guys have sent in emails uh, asking us where certain articles are. And so let me just say, and I do apologize, we are backlogged right now, uh, transferring a lot of information into a new server website. So please be patient. We're sorry for the delay, but we're going to be putting a lot more content out there. We're also going to be producing some online courses. um, So that's going to be fun. And then we're going to be offering some more video series like compilations. So if you want to get deeper into the study of the Bible or prophecy or whatever, uh, we'll be able to compile that together. So it's like certain landing pages to, to make it easier for you guys to do kind of like a one-stop shop. So I hope that's going to be a blessing to all of you guys. So with that being said, today we are kickstarting, kickstarting a new series talking about the Antichrist, this coming rebellion and we're going to kind of park here in the first opening verses of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And so what I want to do is I want to turn there right now. And the title that you'll probably see in a lot of your Bibles is it refers to the man of lawlessness. So if you have been a long time listener on this podcast and we have brought up the Antichrist, matter of fact, if you go back to the Gospels, we certainly mentioned the Antichrist though it's not explicit, but mentioning kind of the timetable chronologically of end-time prophecy, and I take a, a pre-trib, pre-mill position, uh, there's different facets and viewpoints in uh, holdings and convictions and interpretations when it comes to dispensationalism. Uh, there's different categories, so I'm not just a flat-out dispensationalist. So I will vary with some of my colleagues and friends on those issues. And again, the point is we all believe the, the, the doctrine here when it comes to end-time prophecy is the second coming of Jesus Christ. So it's debated uh, throughout Scripture as to when these other uh, events will unfold as mentioned in the book of Daniel, book of Revelation, or like we're going to be seeing here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But if you do go back to the Gospels, you will see in the Olivet Discourse, that's Matthew 24, 25, Mark 13, Luke 21. And then obviously... You know, from that point of Jesus talking about the end time prophecy and also, you know, little aspects of it in the book of Acts that we did see. But also, and this is probably one of the biggest chunks, is in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5, the day of the Lord. And talking about the parousia, what that means, what it looks like. So now as Paul's continuing this letter 
in helping them grow in their faith, this is what's so significant is in teaching them to stand strong in their faith. So even though, you know, I highlighted or titled the chapter one series on that doesn't mean that Paul doesn't continue to teach people how to stand strong in their faith. No, he, that's, that's like the theme throughout second Thessalonians chapter two. And one way he's helping them do that is by answering their questions about end time prophecy. So what does that tell us? If we want to stand strong in our faith, we have to know what the Bible teaches about the end times. Now we know Jesus rules and reigns my friends in the end. And I cannot wait for that day. Maranatha, come soon, come quickly, Lord, right? That is our prayer every single day that we are blessed to breathe uh, the, the, the oxygen uh, in our lungs every day is a blessing. And this is the day as we look to the skies that Christ can return. So as we look at Second Thessalonians chapter two, let me just break down these first opening verses and let's get some context here because I believe the man of lawlessness is the Antichrist. Doesn't use that title, Antichrist, we see little horn in Daniel 7, 7 and 8. Uh, we see referencing of defeating uh, kingdoms. We see the beast in Revelation 13. Uh, we see him starting war in the world and against God in Revelation 19 before the second coming of Christ. And we see the spirit of the Antichrist in John's epistles. We see now this mentioning of, of this man of lawlessness or the son of perdition the son of destruction that we'll see in a minute. And this, my friends, is the individual known as the Antichrist who will falsely portray himself as the Messiah. He's a false Messiah that will be possessed directly by Satan himself. So let's listen to what this passage says here. Paul then transitions into the new chapter here, verse one, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered together to him we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a broken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. All right. Now, I'm just going to have to say this. With just one episode, and I might pause. I, you know, as I'm looking at it right now, I might pause and just pick things up in our next podcast because there's a lot in these four verses. And again, there's different hermeneutics there's different interpretations that people have to what this passage is teaching and i want to be clear on this podcast i teach from a pre-trib pre-trib pre-mail position what that means is i believe that christ is if you're with me in first thessalonians chapter four i believe in what is referred to as the imminent return of jesus the rapture rapturo harpazo means to be caught up and that will happen prior to the seven-year tribulation, which is the 70th week of Daniel that was prophesied in Daniel chapter 9 that fulfills that, that 490 years um, since Jesus was cut off, which was 483 years. And the signing of the treaty that we see in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, is what will usher in the 70th week of Daniel. Okay, so I, I that's what I believe Um and then co corresponding that to the Olivet Discourse, 
that Jesus lays out and also the book of Revelation, particularly from chapter 4, verse 1, all the way to chapter 19, verse 19. So I just want to be clear with that because, and I want to say to the Christian listeners who faithfully listen to this, you could disagree and and hold to a different position, mid, post-trib, you know, partial, uh, you're a preterist, partial preterist, you know, you, you are, you have a form of futuristic, you know, or futurism in your eschatological positions, but your dispensation is a little bit different uh, than mine. Whatever the case may be, that's debatable, but we all believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what's important. So let me unpack this and let's understand a couple things. If you notice when he says right off now concerning the coming, again, remember he was answering a lot of these questions with them in the first letter. And there were some religious leaders, again, who were telling the Thessalonians that they had missed the rapture, that Christ had already returned. And again, a lot of people thought it was him proclaiming himself, you know, uh, you know, like in the Holy of Holies or that he was going to, uh, usurp the power of the, the Roman emperor himself, Caesar himself, whatever the case would be, that hadn't happened or that if Jesus did return, that all the church would be with him. And yet if people who are professing know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they're followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ, and yet they still were on earth, then why are they still behind? Were they truly Christian, if you will? So there's a lot of confusion, as you can imagine, within not even 20 years removed since Jesus Christ ascended to heaven after the resurrection. So what Paul does, and this is so important, this does help us grow in our faith, my friends, when, when we are struggling and we're confused. I mean, many times, can't tell you how many times, uh, you, you know, I'm confused over a passage of scripture and it's it's like haunting. It, it, it I struggle through it trying to figure out how to make sense of whatever the passage is talking about and you know, spending time in you know, talking to scholars, you know, some friends of mine and asking them, emailing them, calling them, texting them, you know, going on uh, to YouTube and watching videos, looking in my library extensively, reading, you know, these exegetical books. And it, sometimes these, these things, they, they're just very troublesome. And, and, you know, the great joy, though, in the end is I have, I have comfort and confidence in what I believe to be true according to Scripture but there's a lot of people, there's a lot of confusion. And even today where you hear different viewpoints and if you're not very familiar, if you're not really grounded or you've never really studied it and there's ignorance there, it, it can cause a lot of harm and it could bring a lot of doubt and emotional scarring. And so you can imagine why Paul opens up this section of his letter by telling the Thessalonians not to worry. There's been times I've worried. There's been times I've talked to individuals and, and what I think is a simple answer, and they're so grateful, which is just such a blessing if you think about it. Because you're like, yes, Lord, I, I've known this truth for many years. I've been blessed to know it because somebody shared it with me because the Holy Spirit convicted my life. And I did due diligence to study and learn, especially from guys like Dr. Norman Geisler. And been blessed to to learn and, and read a bunch of stuff by Dr. John Wolvert and Dr. Dwight Pentecost and Dr. Mark Hitchcock and, and, and Ron Rhodes and the list goes on and on. And so when I come to some of these passages, though they're very confusing, um, in looking at different various, you know, in, interpretive views, but at least I, I get the gist of what the Bible's saying here. That's comforting. You're not to worry. Well, but these people were worrying. 
they were receiving false prophecy. And I want to just stop and think, how much false prophecy are we getting in our lives today? Now, again, let's go back. This, this phrase, the coming of the Lord, this is something, the day of the Lord, this is something that we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, particularly in chapter 5. So the first indicator that the day of the Lord has yet to come, and this is so important, like Paul gets right to the point. He says, listen, Christ has not returned, because notice he says, now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, because to the effect that the day of the Lord has come, and the first indicator he lets them know that not to worry that it is yet to come is because the church remains on earth. You see, the church hadn't been, quote, gathered to Christ yet. That's where that phrase he says, being gathered together to him. That didn't happen yet. Paul's still around himself, meaning the other apostles. And if you go back to chapter 5, verse one and, verses 1 through 10, First Thessalonians, the day of the Lord begins at the rapture event and proceeds throughout the course of the tribulation period, as I said earlier, and actually I said verse 19, it's verse 9, so it goes Revelation 4 verse 1 all the way to chapter 19 verse 9. So this gathered together with him, this is another phrase of comfort provided by Paul to the Thessalonians to know that Jesus hasn't abandoned them. Jesus will soon return for his bride. And both the dead in Christ and those who remain will be caught up, we're told, to be with him forever. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 in chapter 5, verse 10. So, my friends, even right now as you're listening to this, don't be shaken in mind or be alarmed, as Paul told the Thessalonians. Not to be off balance in reason, that's what he means. Not to, not to be moved towards untruth, not to be troubled. But take comfort in knowing that as Christ tarries, he's not making a mistake. He will return for his, his faithful bride. And we need to have faith and trust in that every single day, not to lose sight of that very truth, that very promise. So when he says here in verse 3, now let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So now Paul, what he does here, after talking about the coming of the Lord, gathered together with him, Paul now warns that apostasy will worsen as the world gets closer to the tribulation period. Now it does appear that Paul's composition in his specific teachings, and this is what I believe, when I've looked even in the, into the Greek and seen the tone and the approach in which Paul is teaching uh, you know, not just in First Thessalonians chapter 4, but clearly here in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I believe that he has been in, you know, to, you know he's heard some of this teaching. I, again, Matthew, if Matthew was written in the early 50s, and shortly thereafter, excuse me, Mark was, and then shortly thereafter in the mid-50s was Matthew, okay? And both of those give the account of the Olivet Discourse, again, Matthew 24, 25, Mark 13, and of course, Luke 21 that came after, uh, probably in the late to early, I believe the early 60s for, for Luke's gospel. And then shortly thereafter was the book of Acts. But I definitely believe that the end time prophecy was being taught that the teachings of Jesus from the Olivet Discourse, even though 
he did not have a composition of the gospel of Mark yet. Because remember, if you, if you, if you want to categorize where second Thessalonians is, this is right before Matthew came out. All right. So that's important for us to understand. And you think, well, Jay, by the way, you said you're teaching, uh, you know, in chronological order. Uh, so, you know, why, why, why this letter now? Uh, you know, after, if, if Matthew didn't come out, well, again, if you look at these specific timetables, you will see um, that a lot of the teachings were, were certainly there, were highlighted. And there are people who do put Second Thessalonians that came out after Mark came out and after Matthew was already circulating. Whether that's true or not, we don't definitively know. But what we can tell and this is my main point in Paul's composition and these specific teachings that are surrounding anti-prophecy that he has heard of the teachings of Jesus from the Olivet Discourse. So let me just highlight a particular passage in chapter 24 of Matthew, verses 10 through 12. Jesus warned his disciples and said, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So when Paul is giving a second indicator saying, listen, things are bad right now. But we are told by Jesus that things will progressively get worse. Okay. And then notice he says the rebellion comes first, the man of lawlessness. Now, some people, I will tell you, that hold to a different eschatological position that I do will say see right here what that means is the rebellion comes first meaning we will we will see the antichrist before we see Christ so meaning we will go through the tribulation period well let me pause there and I'll unpack the rebellion comes first in a minute so what we see from what Jesus taught in Matthew 24 is linked to what we are seeing Paul lay out here in verse 3 all right so now let's go back to rebellion comes first this is another indicator in which the day of the Lord has yet happened, has yet to take place, that Christ has yet to come for his church because the rebellion hasn't taken place. And not only that, but the lawless one hasn't come on scene to deceive the, 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 the world, to rule the world. So now we have to understand what is the rebellion and what is this lawless individual? Okay, now the Greek word for rebellion is hoi apostia. That's the apostasy. So if you look at the definitive article here for rebellion, it implies an, uh, an apocalyptic event that speaks to both a political and a religious uprising. Now this is important, my friends, because if you go back to Mark chapter 13, 5 through 7, Jesus conveyed the coming rebellion this way. He said, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. And then elsewhere in verses 21 through 23 of Mark chapter 13, uh, you know, this is what Jesus said. He said, and then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. Okay, 
So let's go back and read this passage. Let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come. That day what? The day of the Lord. What does that mean? The, the return of Christ. Now remember I told you in context of the Prusia, the day of, of the Lord is from the rapture to the second coming of Christ and everything in between. That's the day of the Lord because it's God pouring out judgment, pouring out wrath, pouring out restoration, forgiveness, all of it as he leads humanity and the world to its final consummation, to its final restoration, the new heavens, new earth, and the new Jerusalem being its capital. 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles up. Okay, massive. I, I, I To try to visualize what that will look like is incredible. So when he's saying that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, okay? So we need to see a progression of these thinking, these things taking place. And so this word apostasy, that we get the word apostasy from, in the definitive article is speaking politically and religiously. So they go hand in hand. So that's why a lot of times when people are like, you know, separating the two, I don't buy into that. People's religious convictions and their religious views and what values they hold in honoring the Lord will affect their politics. Because if you reject, reject God that we'll see later that will take place is they're looking to man. They're looking to institutions. They're looking to the politicization of things to bring freedom supposedly to the world. That never happens. You and I, you, we know this. And if you've been blessed to live in the United States of America, we're thankful for the founding documents that established inalienable rights. Not that they are determined by the government, but men who believed in God and self-governance recognize and preserve through the values that we have in the providential hand of God and our maker, our creator. They believed in that. So they're God-given rights. Well, the time will come when this man of lawlessness that's revealed, known as the son of perdition or the son of destruction, that title speaks to absolute domination of the evilness and the control of an individual known as the anti, a false Christ, who will bring great deception and he will pour that out into the world. Now, surprisingly, the term antichrist, is, as I said, is only used four times. And they're all mentioned in John's epistles. 1 John 2, 18, 1 John 2, 22, 1 John 4, 3, and 2 John 7. Now, Dr. John Wolvert says this about the Antichrist, quote, one of the major signs will be the emergence of a human leader, the man of lawlessness referred to as the little horn of Daniel 7, 8, who according to Daniel's prophecies will bring together 10 countries in a political confederacy that will be located in the Middle East. For a careful Bible student, he would be recognized as once when the event takes place seven years before the second coming because Daniel described him as first conquering three countries and then apparently at the remaining seven, or he will wipe out the remaining seven. And that's in Daniel chapter 7 verse 8 and Daniel chapter 7 verses 24 through 25. Wolver continues to say his prominence, that is the Antichrist, will be progressive. As there was no sign of his existence, it was proof that the day of the Lord had not begun. There are various titles and descriptions given of the Antichrist. The Bible gives various names of the Antichrist. Okay, Before I give you these names of the Antichrist, let me just go back and say this. In context of what we're seeing, the rebellion has not come first. So there has to be a growing apostasy. And then the man 
of lawlessness, the son of destruction, the Antichrist, will be revealed. Because it will give way to his rise of deception. Because that's what we always we always ask ourselves, right? Like, how can this happen if, for example, the United States is still a superpower? Well, I believe by the time he comes, we won't be. I don't know when that's going to be. Um, I also believe that he's able to come and, and bring the apostasy to build off of what we are seeing in our culture right now where people are determining their own gender, where truth is subjective, truth is relative. And more and more people now are turning from Christianity in America than, than ever before. As that continues, we're not to be discouraged. We're say this is all leading to the presentation, if you will, of a man coming on scene to the world. And yes, he will conquer, again, politically, militarily, he will conquer three countries and he would cause arrest of these 10 confederates, these 10 independent countries. We don't know all the ones that they will be, but they will align themselves under him and he will sign a peace treaty with Israel in the Middle East. Remember, that's never been done before. So that's what this man of lawlessness will be. So it's not a matter of him being revealed and then Christ comes for us. It's saying the apostasy has to take place first. And then at that point, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. But I believe the church will be taken prior to that in the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will, be, we will receive our resurrected bodies. And then after the tribulation period, we will come in our resurrected bodies and establish God's kingdom on earth with King David. So what are these titles about the Antichrist? Well, we're told back in John, or excuse me, Daniel 7, 8, he's a small little horn. Okay. Uh, we're also told in Daniel 8, 23, he's a fierce king. He's a master of intrigue. We're also told in Daniel 9, 27, he's a defiler. So he will go, remember, and he will blaspheme and he will abominate the temple. That's known as the abomination of desolation. We're also, we also see in Daniel eleven thirty six he's referred to as a king. Zechariah 11 verse 15 mentions a worthless shepherd. So he's a false leader. People will follow him, but he will not lead people uh, to the truth. He will lead them astray. Again, here in verse three, he's known as the man of lawlessness. He's also referred to as the son of perdition or destruction. Again, the antichrist we saw in first John. And we're also told in Revelation 7, two, he's a rider on a white horse, which depicts Again, this uh, conquest that he he is on, and, and the whiteness again, this white horse symbol makes him king and, and victor. Okay, so that that's the 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 illustration that we're we're told about him. And then, as I mentioned earlier, he's also known as the beast in Revelation thirteen and seventeen. So those are titles that we have of the Antichrist. So it's very extensive. That's ten different titles that we have of him in scripture. So keep that in mind. So this son of destruction, when Paul, when he's, when he's quickly reassuring his leaders that this future ruler will soon be defeated, that's what we have to understand. So he may seem powerful and he may cause a world to surrender to his wishes, but he's not the opposite of God. He's not God's equal. He will not give God a run for his money, so to speak. He won't. He is a defeated foe because the one who possesses him is a defeated foe because Jesus defeated the works of the devil on the cross. 
and rose again on the third day. And it's a done deal, my friends, that Jesus Christ will come back again. That's a done deal. So we're not to worry about this stuff. It's good for us to know, to be grounded in our faith so we don't worry, so that we're not led astray by false doctrine. Now, verse four, it says, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. Okay, so again, when we when you see the, the, the titles, the charisma, the intelligence, the military superiority that the Antichrist will have, we're also told that he will oppose and exalt himself against not just kingdoms, but every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple. So this is the abomination of, de- declaration, the abomination of desolation, I should say, where he will proclaim himself to be God. So atheism is not the movement of the day. Spiritualism, supernaturalism is. Belief in God, the question is, is who? He will say he is God. So this is what's important in context because halfway into the seven-year peace covenant with Israel that the Antichrist, this ruler, this this world dictator, okay, this is one world economy, one world system that he's establishing. He will declare himself to be, quote, God and he will desecrate the rebuilt temple or also known as the tribulation temple. And again, Jesus, see, this is something, again, going back to Paul having uh, portions, if not all, of Jesus's Olivet Discourse, because Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 15, he referred to this as the abomination of desolation. And of course, Paul clearly knew of the prophet Daniel because he himself referenced the abomination of desolation of the Antichrist when he describes him breaking the covenant with the Jews. And, and bringing in defiled and unwanted sacrifices into the temple. We see this in Daniel 9, 27. And actually, we also see this in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. Now, this is also important because the Antichrist desecration will exceed that of Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 BC. So that was just a foreshadowing of what will happen later in the future of the Antichrist, a far greater world dictator than Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus Epiphanes didn't even, when he, when he sacrificed pigs in the temple and, they, and they, they stole all their belongings, uh, he wasn't claiming himself to be God because he sacrificed the pigs and he erected a statue of Zeus in the temple, but he desecrated it for sure. Well, the Antichrist will not only do that, but he'll also exalt himself now, by all appearances, if you look at Daniel 11, 36-39, it seems to reference the religious exploitation of this man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, because it says this, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these, a god whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. 
So after conquering the 10 nations, if you go back to this, the Antichrist will force people to worship him as God. So that's where the politics and the religion meet. And that's why the politics were necessary because ultimately that's what the Antichrist wants. We're told in Daniel 9 verse 23 that he will proceed to devour the whole earth. And that's always what Satan wanted, you guys. Satan's wanted us to bow down and worship him. And he wants to possess the world. But it doesn't belong to him. It doesn't belong to him. So what I want to do is I close out and we'll talk later in verses 5 through 12 in the next podcast about this restraining of the Antichrist. There's again a lot of confusion surrounding that. But I just want to highlight three things because if you're if you're new, if you're a novice to end time prophecy, no question, please do not feel bad. It is very confusing and it can it takes people years to try to figure out uh, portions of scripture or, or if you will, a chronological or sequential order of events that will happen in the future, but it's already been predicted and laid out in the Bible. So what I want to do is just want to wrap up and look at the Antichrist in three categories, okay? Number one, again, he's described as a beast. And we're told in Revelation 13, verses 5 through 8, it says, And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. So that means half of the time of the tribulation period. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven, also was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. So again, going back to what we read there in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 11 through 36 through 39, he's going to honor other gods, but he's above all gods. Okay. And as a beast, he will, he will utter haughty and blasphemous things. And so when you're seeing portions of that in our world today, that's the spirit of the Antichrist that John talked about in 1 John 2 and chapter 4. Second thing is the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. Where is that found? Daniel 9, 27. It says this, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Again, week is representative of seven years. And for half of the week, that means three and a half years, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. Why? Because it says here, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So he will try to destroy Israel because they're not going to worship him. And that's where ultimately the Jews will realize that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And you'll see a massive revival at this point of the abomination of desolation in the book of Revelation. And the last thing is the Antichrist will declare himself God in the tribulation temple. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus said this in Matthew 24, verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, so see, here we have Jesus is quoting from Daniel and Paul is referring to Jesus and Daniel. And he says, Standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Standing in the holy place. That's the temple. Well, there is no temple right now, right? But there will be. Because after he signs a treaty with the Jewish people, 
they will be given a plot of land on the Temple Mount. You think, well, the mosque is there. That's true. Somehow, some way, the Antichrist will will be able to pair up a, a Muslim mosque and right next door, the temple. They were told in Revelation 13, verse 14, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So there, so remember when Antiochus Epiphanes erected a statue for Zeus, this image of the beast is going to be an extraordinary image. Probably likened to that of Artemis and Diana, uh, the Greek age of old in Ephesus. And he will establish that. And of course, that will also cause many of the Muslims to turn against him because he is declaring himself to be God and they only believe Allah is God. So I believe many Muslims. There's going to be a revival among Muslims, my friends, as well in the tribulation period. So let's not believe that just because a church has been removed before that, that the Holy Spirit is not working. I believe the Holy Spirit will continue to work and many people will come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior during the tribulation period. So my friends, I went ahead and just laid it all out there. If you need to pause and rewind that and go back, do so at your own leisure. And if you have questions, let me just say something. I love receiving your emails and I do my best to respond to as many questions as we get here in the ministry on a monthly basis. And you can do that by emailing me at info at and let me know what those questions are. You can also go and contact us through the website at stanstromministries.org. And last but not least, I encourage you guys, if you are enjoying this podcast, will you please, wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review that also helps build our audience and gets our message to ground and train people in the word of God. So I greatly appreciate that. So thank you guys. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. (music) 